Welcome to 45 Forward, the beginning of the rest of your life. Each week, host Ron Roel and his guests discuss topics of interest to many listeners in their 40s and beyond, including retirement, caring for aging parents, health, lifestyle, and more. It's time to think ahead to the next half of your life, and we'll help you plan it with ease. Now, here is Ron Roel. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of 45 Forward, where our mission is to help you, our listeners, from Los Angeles to Long Island, make your second half of life even better than the first. As we close out another year and welcome in a new one, it's an opportune time to pause and contemplate where we are in our lives, personally and as a nation. Are we happy and productive as we move into our later years? Spiritually fulfilled? How are we dealing with our challenges and crises? Are we finding ways to come together in community to discuss and resolve differences and move forward? In today's episode, we talk with Rabbi Robert S. Whittem of Temple Emmanuel of Great Neck, New York, who has been senior rabbi at the synagogue since 1969. Rabbi Whittem has long promoted the development of strong community, promoting moral values while supporting a diversity of beliefs and opinions that make up America. He'll reflect on his long tenure at Temple Emmanuel, his experiences as, as a spiritual leader navigating turbulent times. As we celebrate a holiday season for many faiths, Rabbi Whittem will describe his continual efforts to promote interfaith collaboration and dialogue through the Loyal Ethnic Coalition of Faith Partners bringing together Jewish, Christian, Buddhist, Sikh, Hindu, and Muslim groups. So now, folks, it's time to meet Rabbi Robert Whittem. Rabbi Whittem, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me to be part of your show. It's, it's a real pleasure, you know. So you and I have known each other for some time, and, and each year that I, I get to spend some time with you, I'm more and more impressed with you or, your values and your spirit and your tenacity over time to deal with a lot of difficult issues during our times. So, uh, but I find that uh, we may talk, but you do more than talk. You are a doer, and I'm impressed by what you've done. This is a special book for me. Mm-hmm. I appreciate what you've done with it. Right. But in beginning, um, I would be interested in what motivated you to do such a thing mm. because it's an enormous piece of work. Right. It's wow. taken enormous time. There's such great material in the book, which I looked through uh, last night after I received it from you. Mm-hmm. And my, I'm impressed by your ability to do such a thing. Mm-hmm. But what motivated the doing of something like okay. that? Okay. Well, I'll talk about that. The rabbi is referring to a book that I've just published called The Caregiving Navigator for Family Caregivers on Long Island. Uh, and uh, some of that inspiration, actually, I, I worked on it for a number of years. It came from the rabbi because I've, I've noticed uh, how much family caregivers need support and help and guidance. And it's the kind of support that I know uh, I can provide in terms of resources in my book, but also through people. It's always about people. So I was like telling people about my book and I can, I'll, and during the break uh, later on, I'll tell you more about that. But uh, uh, right now I want to move on to the rabbi himself because uh, um, he's an, an impressive uh, man. And uh, I want to, I'm always interested not only in what you have to say, rabbi, but a little bit about you. Um, it, it's, uh, you know, you've, uh, you've been, had a long tenure at Temple Emmanuel. Um, and so what, what, uh, I'll get back to some of my motivation, but what motivated you to become a rabbi from a you know, rather young age? Um, I kind of backed into the rabbinate. Uh-huh. It's not because of some 
great inner feeling or calling that some say they've had a great calling to do this. It, it was my interest in high school and college, particularly at NYU mm-hmm. as undergraduate in history, which led me to try to, as I understood the movement of nations, I didn't know where this people, Israel, fit into all of it. Mm-hmm. I wanted to know about it. So I took courses in the evening at a school called the Jewish Institute of Religion. And there I learned more in the evening courses about how to integrate this people into the larger whole. And then I learned from one professor who said to me, why don't you uh, take some classes in the morning? I said, but the morning school is a rabbinical school. No, you can audit some classes. Mm -hmm. It's all right. Why don't you just audit the classes? So while I was an undergraduate at NYU, I found time where I could go and take courses in the morning in the rabbinical school and learn more. Mm -hmm. Finally, one professor said to me, you've taken the courses as an undergraduate. You would receive credit for them. We would do it for you if you enroll and become a rabbinical student. Mm. And my father had just passed away. He was a CPA and accountant. He always said, why don't I come in the business with him? And if I did it, I would have been rich tonight. (laughs) (laughs) So he was gone, and we're saddened by his loss, and I was at loose ends. So I said, all right, I will matriculate in the rabbinical school. And that's how I backed into the rabbinate. And I was ordained in 61 and and been a rabbi ever since. Mm. Well, you know, you're you're deep in your faith, but I, as I mentioned earlier, you what's always impressed me is just that your your broad vision and your sense of context and your sense of broader spirituality and the and the importance of a greater morality. Um so was this something that I mean I, I get a sense that you had this, you know, you were a philosophy major, so you had some of this at the very beginning. But what, what's informed your faith and broadened it over the years? I uh, have evolved in my thinking over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, just by way of experiencing the world in which we live. Um, Jews were called uh, the chosen people. Mm-hmm. And I believe that every people has to have a sense of being chosen. Mm-hmm that one is not enough in order to fulfill a mission. If we believe that somehow this humanity of ours has a purpose, that purpose fulfills itself in a mission. And what is the mission? Is to uh, fix the world. That ought to be the mission. Right. It takes the combined effort of all people of good faith, of every nation, color and creed Mm. it used to be that we would define the center of judaism as israel and then when a lot of jews came to the to to the states Mm -hmm. and we had equal number in israel and here in the united states so then we changed the model it's not a center now we're talking about an ellipse why because an ellipse has two centers. Hmm. It was Israel, and it was America. Now we have to change that model. 
the center of Israel has to be the world. Hmm. We have to see ourselves as part of a world, of a changing world, and hopefully to be able to combine with all people of good faith to create the kind of world that we ought to live in. The first line in the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Wrong. Right. Wrong. <laughs> it should be read this way. God created the heaven and the earth, Bereshit, in the beginning. And therefore, now humanity has a task. The task is to, to fix the world. And that's just not the Jewish task. It's the task of everybody. Mm. We have to see it that way. Right. So there must be a coming together of peoples of different backgrounds, different understandings. Develop that kind of mindset that puts aside all of the littleness that separates us to see the bigger picture, that we have a cause. Right. The united cause. Fix a world. Right. That's how I have evolved over the years. Yeah, that's very interesting. So as as we look at the world today, though, one of the problems is that there is this sense of, of I don't know, dualities or just division um, that it seems, I guess, motivated by fear, um, by fears of things that are in our minds, but not necessarily there at all. Fears of scarcity, fears of being marginalized or disregarded or not respected. Um, so, so how do you break through that? I mean, I've been looking at this for a while. You know that I've I've worked with you with your ethnic coalition, and I, something we can talk more about. I really applaud this effort. It's it's really rare that pe that people are doing putting together groups of people like this in with intentionality like you are. So I I, I really admire and and applaud that. Um, what are your thoughts about this? I mean, we, you're doing this as a singular effort, and but I joining with lots of other people. How do we broaden your thoughts? I think that uh, what we need to do is uh, have uh, more dialogue, and that has to be the uh, the principal theme and mission of our faith partnership, that we dialogue. And it's not just words. We meet, we eat, we talk, we become interconnected as people. So we'll have in the dialogue, there'll be Sikhs, there'll be Hindus, there'll be Buddhists, uh, there'll be some um, Christians, and there'll be Jews, but all combining to find that we have great things in common. And we have a lot in common. And that's what we have to see, our commonality. Right. And that um, it should not be what separates us. We have a right to be different. In fact, the first battle for the right to be different was a holiday that we just celebrated as Jews called the Maccabean or the Hanukkah effort. Mm -hmm. Year 167, a group said, we will fight the greatest empire known at that time, the Syrian Empire, in order to maintain our right to be different. The first battle for religious freedom or the right to be different ever fought 
in the year 167 mm-hmm. BCE. And that's what we must maintain. We have a right to our own interests, but what must unite us and interconnect us is our own humanity. Right. right. See that in each person that somehow to find the sacredness in, in each person. Right. You know, I, I've participated in some of your groups and, and they've been really terrific, but they haven't always been easy. I mean, one of the things that I, I, I've noted is that, that you're very even in terms of, of accepting everyone's perspectives, but even when it gets somewhat heated. Um, and that to me, it, you know, getting through people's emotional, I'm not sure what to call it, stucksness, you know, they, they get stuck in their positions. And um, um, I've seen you sort of navigate through that. Any thoughts on how do we get past these emotional barricades? No, but only by continual talking and dialogue Mm. and meeting. And it's not what you say that will matter. It's your presence. Mm. I mean, there's something to that. In sitting together and talking together and eating together, it breaks down all barriers. Mm. And you can't break down barriers with words alone. Words are not enough. Mm. Um, We need to... uh, participate with one another. Mm. This is not going to come about by just by saying that it's time that we get together. And what's happening, I'll tell you, in Israel is a good example of this. Okay. Government will not ultimately um, solve the problem, let's say, of a two-state solution, because government there today is opposed to a two-state solution. But what I think will have an effect is grassroots. And there's groups like the Young Ambassadors for Peace, which is a young group of young Israelis and Palestinians who have both lost loved ones on each side, killed by each side, who've come together to say that it's a terrible waste. We have a greater obligation, they say, these Palestinians and these Israelis, and that it's up to us to help to build a better Israel and a better world. There's a group now in Haifa of Palestinians and Israelis who are doing the same thing. And I believe that has an influence and must have an influence on the political, that whoever now will come into office, and it can't be of uh, the present uh, prime minister, that they will be able to uh, help support the new government to see its way clear to knowing that we have an obligation to others, that no people should be hostage to another people, that every people has a right to self-expression. And uh, that's true not only for Jews, but for Palestinians as well. They have the same rights, and we must support those rights. So I see it happening, but it only happens by doing. Mm-hmm. Business of talking falls short. Words fall short, even if one's words are trippingly upon the lips. They only go so far. Right. It is the doing, ultimately. Right. As some- your book shows, it's <laughs> in the doing and the caring. 
Right. And you have to show it. Yeah. No other, yeah. No, no secret weapon. Yeah. You have to be together and experience life together. Exactly. And yeah. 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 I think that, um, I think you're exactly right. I mean, I, I think that um, I've often pointed to a, a book called uh, Strangers in Their Own Land uh, by this um, professor from Berkeley who uh, was a, you know, a, a self-professed liberal. And she went and spent um, some time uh, uh, over the course of a year with um, uh, people in uh, southern Louisiana. Uh, to try to figure out, well, you know, why did they think so differently from me? Why are they so, con- quote unquote, conservative? Why are they Trumpers or whatever you want to call them? And, um, you know, so she did that. She spent time with them. She ate dinner with them. She visited their families. She went to church with them. She went to uh, community events with them. And, you know, she came back and, and she said, look, I, I don't agree with uh, uh, much of what they say. But to your point... She understood what she had in common with them, and right. she understood how they thought and why they felt the way they did. So there was just that understanding, and when you have that understanding, it, it leads to compassion and you know, and to the diminishment of hate. Excellent. That's exactly how I would feel about this. Right. Right. So um, tell us a little bit more, but just so people know. Um, uh, how the Ethic Coalition uh, meets and, and just sort of the, the kinds of things you work on together. We try to meet uh, at least once a month, mm-hmm. come together. But the key is that that's not the end of it. Mm-hmm. The official gatherings, we sit together, we talk together, but then groups meet on their own. Mm-hmm. They meet in each other's homes. They come to know one another. They have dinner with one another. They uh, find out little things about others. They find out all of the imperfections and the qualities that they find in others. They become friends. And that becomes the key to this. Right. How right. to be able to transcend all of the differences and know that underneath it is the commonplace humanity. Right. That's right. what we must find. In right. Great. That's, okay. That's really the mission of the faith partnership. And, and I see it's working. I'd like to see it working in other areas. I'd like to see it working all over the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, I find that it's working with our groups. Right, right. Uh, folks, uh, we're going to take a short break. Um, but when we come back, we'll be talking much more with Rabbi Robert Whittem, the senior rabbi at Temple Emanuel of Great Neck, New York. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Today, our 40s sit firmly in midlife. We are starting to feel our place and have many productive years ahead. But now is the best time to plan for our future life. Listen for 45 Forward with host Ron Roel. From retirement to health and technology to caring for our parents, no topic is off the table. We don't have a roadmap to our actual future, but we can start to plan more effectively. Tune into 45 Forward, Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. The boroughs are New York City. The burbs are everywhere else. Real estate is the ultimate game of risk and reward. It's the biggest investment most people ever make. Fortunes are made over a lifetime and lost in a day. And we're not playing with Monopoly money. How do you stay ahead? Who's buying? Who's selling? And why? What do they know? We want the truth. You need an edge. Burrows and Burbs is your secret weapon to giving you the insider knowledge and strategies you need to succeed in the high-stakes world of real estate. From Palm Beach to Palm Springs, Manhattan to Malibu, we press the experts to expose the pain, find the deals, and occasionally predict the future. That's Burrows and Burbs, 3 o'clock Eastern, noon Pacific, because everyone can make money in real estate. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks. We're de- talking today with Robert, Rabbi Robert Whittem of Temple Emmanuel of Great uh, Long Island. And before the break, we were talking about issues of um, uh, of getting people together of different faiths and beliefs. And Rabbi talked about the importance of looking for our commonality versus our differences. And uh, during the break, I was talking to the Rabbi a bit about just the role of spirituality in his work and work in general and and. You know, it's it's a word that's thrown around a lot. You know, people say, "Well, I'm I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual." And we were saying, "Well, what does that mean exactly?" So, let's pick up on that. <laughs> it's an abused word, mm. uh, like love is an abused word. Mm-hmm. Use it for everything. I love my car. I love my house. I love a stiff drink before dinner. You know, <laughs> all of these things, right? That's what we love. But even with the word love, then, um, there's another element. All of these things are good. I mean, we have a right to all of these things. But love that I'm talking about is where we uh, love because we the joy of giving, we mm-hmm. define as love. That's something that you're giving of yourself. And I think when we talk about spirituality, again, it's a very personal thing. Mm -hmm. I feel so spiritual. I never know what anyone means when one's saying that because it's a subjective feeling. And I'm not not sure what motivates it. Uh, Some people are motivated by, uh, they have a stomach ache and they feel spiritual. can't define spirituality, but what we can define is human behavior. Mm-hmm. And that has to do with the ethical. It has to do with values. 
we have to be able to say that there's such a thing as high religion. What is high religion? Combination of all of the values of all of the important faiths that have adopted values like, like justice, mercy, compassion, hope, love, courage, respect, all of these values. And some would say that these values are the uh, part of God. So we can say that these values represent God. But these values are what we would judge a person's behavior like. That's why thing like justice or the rule of law fits in with all of this. What is our behavior in a world like today? What do we support in a world like today? And what makes one a religious person? Not the ritual. The ritual makes one a ritualistic person. Mm -hmm. Christianity and Catholicism, I count the rosary beads. Does that make someone a religious person? Yes. Say I'm a very religious person. I look what I do with the rosary beads. In Judaism, I drink a cup of wine. I say a prayer over it. He says, well, I'm a religious guy. Look what I'm saying. To me, these are the outer trappings. The, the message that these rituals bring ought to be what we live by, and those are our values. So living by these values, I would say, makes one a religious person. That's how we know a religious person. I'll give you one funny sure. story. <clears throat> I was standing outside the synagogue some months ago, and I was looking toward the synagogue, and the other person who I was talking to, a member of the board, was looking across the street and said, there goes a religious person. Huh. And I said to him, how do you know? He said, Rabbi, don't you see him? Look the way he's dressed. He has this long coat on. He has this fur hat that's called a strimal. I mean, he has his beard. He has this white socks that I could see as he was running. Oh, he's a religious guy. And I said to him, all I can see when you're pointing him out is a person I don't know if he's religious or not. I'd have to go and live with him and see how he treats his wife, how he does with his children, what he does in the jewelry business, how he behaves at work. Then I would tell you whether he's a religious person. Mm -hmm. Then he understood. Right. Religiosity has to do with behavior. Right, right. It's not merely creed. It's deed. What you do ultimately matters. I can say all of the right things and still do all the wrong things. And that's what you know the difference between the two. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think that, you know, it's like spirituality, I think you're right. It's a feeling, but um, that's, I, I'm in total agreement about uh, it's what you do. Uh, even in a completely different sense, I, I remember being involved in a, in a in an educational course about uh, helping people figure out their careers, what what should be their career, and the facilitators said, "Well, I want you to write th uh, down, um, talk about your life, and I don't want you to talk about your aspirations or your ideas. I want you to talk about what you've done, <laughs> because what you've done will be an indication of what you really believe is and what exactly you really want right. to do." Yeah, where I'm coming from. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. So I think that's, and I think that, you know, in a sense, spirituality is sort of a, you know, is a default position where it's like, you don't, basically, you don't want to do the hard work <laughs> of engaging in relationship with people, because um, that's where you'll determine what your values are. Very, very good, because ritual is easy. That's wonderful things. And, you know, you perform the ritual and you think you're, you've done everything. Ultimately, you prove the truth of your faith to how you live your life. Right. And I think that holds for all people everywhere, right. whether one is a Sikh or whether one is a Christian or one is a Buddhist or a Hindu, whatever faith you have, or a Jain, of which there is a great number, in fact, living in this country, mm. whom I found and met, and I mm. have great regard for. Mm. They preserve life. And they believe that everything that lives is sacred. Mm. And I applaud what they're thinking and the way they kind of live their lives. Prove the truth of your faith through what you do. Right, right. Well, let me ask you just a, a question, though, about this ritual or um, yeah. spiritual practices. So, yeah. you know, a lot of us are, you know, again, there's very different notions of prayer. So... Uh, people pray different ways. I don't know, I think people might be meditating. They might be doing it all sorts of ways. But what do you feel is the role of prayer today? I believe the ultimate role of prayer is to upgrade what we are as people. Hmm. That prayer can it ought to be what I call self-judgment. And that's necessary. And that's important. I mean, people can pray for, I pray for a Cadillac, I pray for this, I pray for that. Right. The ultimate of prayer has much to do with what we become as people. It can help us to become, to lose ourselves in ourselves for a moment and reflecting upon the universe mm. or God can lead us into thinking about what we ought to be as individuals, where I've fallen short where I can compliment myself on something I've done, where I see my own weaknesses, where I can grow as a person is the ultimate role, I think, of prayer. It has to be self-judgment. Mm -hmm. Now, I think I was looking at one of your um, um, messages to your congregation recently, uh, and uh, you were talking about you know, bringing us together as a community, all saying and doing the same thing at the same time. That seems to me that's a, a worthy prayer. <laughs> I'll tell you what that means. Okay. That's good, and it does work in creating a sense of community. Mm -hmm. And we need that. That's why in saying and doing the same things, we can create a sense of groupness. Mm -hmm. And groupness can work with people. But ultimately, it's not enough. Ultimately, prayer has to where the individual emerges and not merely the group. And the individual emerges by way of judging what he, he or she does as a person and how I improve myself becomes the ultimate role, I think, of prayer. Both are necessary, creating a sense of groupness and at the same time where we emerge as individuals. Right. Now, in terms of that, you know, dialectic. I, one of the things that I enjoy about um, your congregation is that you have, 
and your programs that you offer that are many of them are cultural programs, many of them are speakers, and they your message seems to be the same there is if you're promoting you know uh, an acceptance and an openness to a whole variety of ideas and thoughts and and sometimes you know uncommon ideas. Um, so talk a little about your speaker program and how you developed it. I know it's been going on for a while. What sorts of things uh, you look for? Well, the speaker program is really in two parts. And both of them fit together, particularly in our world. It Part of it is education. And that's a very, what I would call, important value for all of us, to be educated, mm-hmm. to learn to listen to other views, and perhaps it may have a, a, a an effect upon us. Mm-hmm. We offer different speakers, and uh, usually of people that we know and uh, have seen on television or have spoken somewhere at a university, we bring them. Now, that's one element. But apart from that element of learning, in a world like this, we need relief. We need to be able to... Um, revivify ourselves because as you mentioned earlier there's so much in the world that tears at us so many fears in the world to get away from it for a while for a moment and to experience a joy helps to strengthen us to deal with all of the crises that we may face so all of the entertainments we do as we the one that we did last night is for that purpose. Mm-hmm. That's the hidden agenda. It's not just we bring in people and entertain. It should have an effect on people, a positive effect on people, so when they leave, they feel uplifted. In a world like this, we need a lot of that. Mm-hmm. It's entertainment to uplift us. So we're very careful whom we choose to help in this process. And we brought some very good people, as we did last night, for that. So it's a twofold purpose to educate and to uplift is the purpose of what we call our cultural arts, which was named for my son who tragically passed away. It's now just about 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, last night was the 10th anniversary wow. of his passing suddenly. That's why we called it the Stephen C. Whittem Cultural Arts mm-hmm. Programs. Right. But it has at that purpose in mind, things that he valued, like learning and rejoicing. So we celebrate those values that were his, and they should be everyone's values, to learn, to keep an open mind, to be thrilled by an idea, as some people are, not everyone. Mm -hmm. Everyone walks away with their own thoughts anyway, and will Mm -hmm. say, I'm I'm not not interested in what he's saying, because he's not saying what I want him to say. Right. We look for people who are really open-minded. Yeah, yeah. And um, that's so two purposes. Right. Educate and to uplift. Yeah. And I found, I was at the event last night. It was very, uh, last yesterday afternoon, it was very uplifting. And uh, just to tell the audience a little bit more about it, it was um, a duo of singers and uh, more than singers, uh, but they, they have a group called, uh, I guess it's called Forever Simon and Garfunkel. Um and they put on a show that was, uh, but it was more than just a show of you know of nostalgia of Simon and Garfunkel songs. Uh, many in the audience, including me, were 
you know, could sing along with and, and know the words, the lyrics to it. But what I found it interesting, Rabbi, was the the nature of the two of the the of the singers. Uh, there was a great age disparity between them. One was twenty seven, and the other didn't give his age, but but clearly quite a bit older. And so it was that you know underlying message of the ability to come together in harmony despite great age differences and generational differences that I found different in this kind of program. So I, I really felt that was of great value, and, and there was a value in that performance. I, I agree with you. There was a message in the two of them being able to combine their talents and not to be tuned off or turned down one of them by the other because of the age differences. In fact, they, uh, they applauded their differences, and we need that. We need there to close the gap of generational differences. We need that. We can't hear younger people say, too old, we need a younger person in leadership. Uh, there was always this uh, within the Jewish community, which was called uh, Zikna Yisrael, the elders of Israel. And why? To appreciate their experience. And it shouldn't be their wisdoms. Maybe they have something to say that we can learn. So that was always appreciated. That's no longer the case today. The case today is generations say, too old. Biden is too old. Too old. We can't hear him anymore. We need a younger person. I disagree, not because because you can tell that I'm just 49 now myself. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, I, I look to see what I can learn from him and what he's done not merely by talking, but by doing for this nation. Right. And I will applaud what he does and not chip away on the fact that he is, that he may say the wrong word occasionally or he trips or he does whatever he does, but that he's a man of action and he's really helped our nation over these, I would say, rough, uh, rough years, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. even though in spite of his age. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree, and I think that um, uh, I think that we can learn. Obviously, being older myself, I think we can learn from the wisdom because I think there is true wisdom in in aging. Uh, and but I, what what I also liked about this the the Simon Forever Simon Garfunkel, uh, the, these two men, was that they appreciated each other, and that the older person appreciated the younger person. Not only what he could do but what he could learn from him. And I think there's that kind of ability. Uh, and I think that the word that comes to mind for me is humility. You know, and I think that in some ways you become that, that, that your ability to um, uh, appreciate humility, that's one thing that does, that does increase with age. <laughs> you know what you know and what you don't know and what you still have to learn. So, uh, Rabbi, we're going to take another quick break uh, but when we come back, folks, we have one more dynamic segment coming up with Rabbi Robert Whittem. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. 
Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. It's time to unlock some of the best-kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host, keynote speaker, and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now, she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for the Forbes Factor. We guarantee it will be the best hour of your week. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks. We're talking today with Rabbi Robert Whittem of Temple Emmanuel of Great Neck, Long Island. And before the break, we were talking about... Um, one word, which is humility, and just sort of the role it plays for each of us in terms of uh, understanding. Um, we were talking specifically about generational differences, but a lot of differences. So uh, pick up on that, Rabbi. Well, I like the word, which is now no longer <clears throat> used, but I like it within the context of when the prophet spoke that word. Mm-hmm. Prophet Micah said what is required of an individual, three things, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. Mm. That somehow you prove how humble you are, not by saying it, I've humbled myself, but by doing, doing justly and loving mercy, you've proved that you are walking humbly with, with God. Um, humility is something that's put aside um, that I see that it's not spoken of today. Uh, but if it's spoken of, I see it's spoken of not in the way it ought to be. Mm. Can you prove how humble you are not by being told how, what you do, you're such a humble person, but again by proving your humility by doing the right things. Right. It all comes back 
to one's character, which is rooted in the moral decision one makes. That we cannot forget that morality is the kernel of religion. Some want to throw away the husks. Well, we can keep the husks, all the ritual. But the center of it has to be a decision, a mindset, that what we do as individuals must count. If we don't get that message across and live by it, what good is our religious traditions? We've lost it all. Humility is what we prove that we are by way the way we live. Good yeah, word. yeah, I think so. And I think one of the problems is that we've conflated it with weakness. It's not about weakness. You know, humility and modesty um, are words that my father taught me. Um, and that was that was that was his legacy for me. And uh, wonderful, it was an important one. Um, yes, but a difficult one because it it just seems as if, and this is a combined um, responsibility. I guess the word is I'm looking for is in our culture, is that we're not promoting these values. We're promoting no. extremes, um, and and these extremes have risks to it. And I know that this can get somewhat sensitive politically, but I, you and I have had discussions about the risks of it and the risks of of, um, of this kind of extremism uh, being a, a risk to our freedom and our, and our uh, democracy. So talk about that. I know you have strong feelings. I'd like to hear more about them and, and also how you connect them to your, um, your moral, ethical, religious values. Well, we're moving swiftly toward an autocracy in this country. And the question is, will we be an autocracy or will we continue to be an imperfect democracy? Mm -hmm. I think it has to be considered. And I believe it was Benjamin Franklin who famously said about the new constitution at his time, and he said yes when he was asked about it, yes, he says, it creates a republic if you can keep it. So apparently then uh, Franklin, from what I see, he, for, he foresaw the ambitious, ruthless characters that could arise to try to break the republic. Mm-hmm. And uh, we see much of it today, aided by other weak and venal characters who would assist in the doing of it for their own sense of uh, of wealth. So to me, it's clear that um, America faces now uh, Franklin's challenge since uh, 2016. And the story I see in America since that time is a story of um, villains and a couple of heroes that we do have. And just enough good luck that's maintained the balance, because it could have gone almost either way, but to maintain the balance of an imperfect democracy. And uh, that has been, we've been lucky. But I think that it would be dangerous for us to continue to count on luck to do the job for us. Mm -hmm. We need people who are prepared to stand up and be counted on. And I fear that um, that certain um, 
politicos have decided that um, uh, nation and patriotism is less important than um, than power maintaining their own positions, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I fear for that. And I know we need a combined effort of all people in a country like this to prove the worth of our democracy. That's what we need. We need an outpouring of people who come forth and say that it matters to us, that because democracy is the bedrock of all of our other values, Mm. all of our freedoms are grounded in democracy. If we do away with that, and people who even vote against their own best interest not understanding it, and that becomes the biggest problem, we can lose a country, and God forbid, if our country turns into this autocracy, I fear for the rest of the world. The world depends on this country, and this country has an obligation to maintain its democratic direction in order to safeguard not only for America, Israel is small country, but for countries everywhere. Right, and and I think that you know the, we're, we're certainly not a theocracy, but there is a relationship between these freedoms that, and freedom of religion. You know, you know, also that that is part of the democracy, and you know, while keeping that, you know, the separation of religion and uh, government. Even so, the the values are you know of both are are, are about you know respecting yes, the freedoms. Yes. This country stands for the right to be different, right? To value all differences, and to value the differences that come with immigrants who come to these shores. To know that they should be treated fairly and justly and properly, and not to be tossed away as someone who is seeking the presidency who has said out loud that he'll cut off all immigration. In fact, immigrants in this country will be all forced to leave. Um, That would be a disaster for our nation. But apparently, it doesn't matter to him and his acolytes. They're prepared to do such things and other things Mm -hmm. that will destroy them. For a man to say, we don't need a constitution today, for a person to say the rule of law, I'm the law. I'll make the decisions. If that happens to this nation, then uh, we can't look to anybody else to help us. England and France and others. In fact, we can't even go to Canada. They won't even let us in. <laughs> yeah. So we have to preserve. We cannot believe that... Um, that such an ideology will win out over our need to have a just and proper society rooted in a democracy that allows this kind of freedom for for all peoples that we have right. in our country. We've been known for that, inviting people in. I mean, the Statue of Liberty, Emma Lazarus. I mean, this has been the place for people to come as a haven. Are we merely to turn that off? So I'm hopeful that people will be people of good faith in this country, 
will turn on this and say, we've listened and we're voting against it. And we need this country to remain what we believe it ought to be. Yeah. Whether yeah. it's perfect or not, we need a democracy. We need it. And to me, going back to the beginning of our show, when we were actually talking about my caregiving navigator, um, the book itself is about family caregivers caring for our elders and each other um, and ourselves while we care for others. Um, and I think that that, again, that word is missing. That's part of the democracy, which is caring. We care for each other as a nation. This is what, you know, a central theme about you know, we go through crises, uh, but we care about each other. We care about our, you know, the, our well-being. Um, you know, again, you mentioned immigrants. We care that this for them because this is where we came from. You know, my my mother was an immigrant from Cuba. My father's parents were immigrants from Mexico and Hungary. This is where we came from. You know, so it's like we we are mostly all immigrants, but just at different times. And uh, and that we, uh, in spite of our differences, we there's a fundamental need to care for each other. One philosopher on his dying, on his deathbed, said, I put aside all philosophies. I know them all. The only thing that matters, I say, and he was speaking to his two sons, he says, the only thing that matters is caring. So you've said the key word. I mean, to care is the ultimate. It means that it encompasses being sympathetic and empathetic. If one cares, one is sympathetic and empathetic at the same time. Yeah. Key word is to care. Right. And to echo what you said earlier, that caring requires you to do something. <laughs> it's manifested in your behavior of how you care. So I think that's, you know, a, a, you know, a really key element to it. Um, so, um, yeah. Um, so, so in our, in our closing minutes, um, what, what, uh, what are your thoughts about, you know, are there things that religious institutions could do together as coalitions or collaborators um, uh, to, um, to advance this cause? Well, we have to build bridges with one another. We have to know that um, all people of good faith, all religions, have to stand together against those that seek to destroy it all. In other words, we have a common interest together. It's not that Jews and Christians are separate, Buddhists and Hindus are separate. We have to, we have to man the, the towers. We have to stand up together, maintain the value structure that we all hold in common against those who want to tear it apart. And that being the common purpose. And I think the common purpose has to be served by people here, there, and everywhere. And, and to know that, we look, we're all going to have concerns. This one says, I'm not earning enough. This one says, I'm not to be able to move into the apartment I want. So we all have concerns. So we have to deal with people with concerns, but not to allow 
personal concerns like that to rupture society. Because of that, I'm not going to vote as I should. I'm going to vote for him because he represents security. And this represents for us, I don't know, I'm not earning enough, but he will take care of us. He represents security. Right. Apparently, this fellow is riding the crest of a wave without mentioning his name, but he is because he has behind him a lot of people, 30 million evangelicals are saying that they will support him, believing that he will bring into being what they want. Okay, we'll have to leave it there. Uh, but um, I want to thank the rabbi for an inspiring and, and uh, provocative message. Uh, and uh, I just want to say, if you need to uh, listen to it as a podcast, you can listen to it on, on 45 Forward on voiceamerica.com. And uh, be sure to join me uh, next week. I'll do an encore episode uh, since it's Christmas Day. Uh, but it, it's going to be a dynamic one. So until then, keep moving forward, 45 forward. Thank you for tuning in to 45 Forward. Please join your host, Ron Roel, for another great show next Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We wish you a great week.